Well, what I would like to do tonight is to share with you a brief exhortation on the place of miracles, or you could call them signs and wonders, which is a New Testament term, uh, the place of signs and wonders in the Christian life. And this is by no means meant to be a full treatment of the topic. In a sense, it's not even a treatment of the topic at all. Um, It's just a very brief exhortation, and my aim is very specific. All I want to do is to demonstrate two things tonight from the Scriptures. First, that signs and wonders are an integral or an indispensable part of true biblical Christianity. And secondly, that according to the Bible, there is no conflict between a firm confidence and trust in the power of the Word of God on the one hand and a desire for signs and wonders on the other. And let me say that one more time. According to the Bible, there is no conflict between a firm confidence and trust in the power of the Word of God on the one hand and a desire for signs and wonders on the other. One of Satan's most common and most successful tactics is causing believers to go to extremes. And you can think of this in a lot of different areas. For example, think of the area of emotion in the Christian life. On the one hand, you have some churches whose worship meetings look more like a rock show than a worship meeting. Uh, Loud music, uh, singing the same chorus over and over and over again with an emphasis on feelings, an emphasis on uh, even external uh, manifestations of emotion and so on and little to no emphasis on solid Bible teaching. And so some believers see that kind of meeting, they see that kind of worship service, and they overreact to the other side, and you end up with an intellectual Christianity that, as Vance Havner said, is straight as a gun barrel theologically and as empty as a gun barrel spiritually. And so that's the opposite extreme. Think of this in the area of spiritual gifts, particularly the the area of tongues. You have some believers who say that unless you speak in tongues, you're not really spiritual, and you may not, may not even be a Christian at all unless you speak in tongues. And so, again, some believers see that emphasis, and they overreact to it, and they say that spiritual gifts, tongues specifically, don't even exist anymore. Those gifts have passed away. They don't even, they don't even function anymore. So this overreaction leading to these extreme positions. And then, of course, this area of signs and wonders is a big one. On the one hand, you have someone like Benny Hinn, who has basically built an entire empire on these performing these shows of false miracles and whipping up people's emotion and so on. Million-dollar industry, multi-million-dollar industry, maybe billion-dollar industry, I don't know in his case, but an entire industry built on the foundation of putting on a show of false miracles. And so a lot of Christians will see that and they'll overreact to that and they'll say, you know, miracles, yeah, God can still do miracles, but signs and wonders really aren't needed anymore because now we have the the Bible, we have the completed Bible, we have the Old and New Testament now. It's done, it's complete. And so all we need now is the Bible, the Word of God. That's all we need anymore. We don't need signs and wonders anymore. Uh, All we need is the Word of God. And beloved, the only way out of this quagmire of extremes is to go back to the Bible itself, to go back to the Bible itself and to listen to the Bible itself and to listen to what the Bible has to say to us about what the normal Christian life looks like. That's the only way you can get out of this thing, this thing of extremes. And I want to do that really quickly tonight with this issue of signs and wonders. And again, just very brief 
goal in mind, very simple goal in mind here. We'll be looking at three passages tonight, and then we'll end with a couple of applications. The first passage is in 1 Kings chapter 17. Why don't you go ahead and turn there, and then we'll pray here before we read the word. 1 Kings 17. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just ask that you would instruct us tonight. We pray that you'd keep us from error. We pray you'd keep us from evil. But Lord, at the same time, we pray that no crumb of truth would fall to the ground, Lord, but that we would eagerly hold on to anything tonight that is of you. Lord, help us to have an open mind, an open heart, a teachable spirit. Help us to be willing, Lord, to do your will. That's the secret. If any man is willing to do God's will, he will know of the teaching. And so, Lord, we pray, make us willing tonight in the day of your power. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first passage here is 1 Kings 17. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. And, of course, we're kind of cutting in here the story of Elijah. Uh, Elijah had just given his prophecy to Ahab uh, that there would be no rain. And he's then instructed by God to go to this brook. And God says, I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there by this brook. And then verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. It's kind of interesting, the same term there, I have, or I have commanded the ravens to provide for you. And then this term here, I have commanded this woman, this widow, to provide for you. So God can command not only, the, not only people, but animals, creatures, can be his servants as well. Verse 10, So he, Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first, and bring it out to me, and afterwards you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, Give me your son. Quite a statement. Give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him 
and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. Then the woman said, now, don't miss this here. It's easy to stop there and kind of miss this. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And again, notice particularly that last verse. I read all of that. I mean, these are well-known miracles, but it's easy to miss that last uh, verse there that kind of summarizes all of this, that kind of brings everything to its conclusion. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. What was it that convinced this widow of the truthfulness of Elijah's message? What was it? that convinced her, in this case, of the truthfulness of Elijah's message. Well, it was the signs and wonders that God performed through him. Uh, There was the the bread and the oil, or the, I guess you could say the bread and the oil. There was the the raising of her son here, of course. And so she says that in verse 34, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. It was the signs and wonders that convinced her of the truthfulness of Elijah's message. But notice also here that the wonders that were performed by Elijah were not for the purpose of glorifying Elijah. This widow didn't say, wow, now I know that you are a great miracle worker. What else can you do? What other neat things can you do? That's not what she said. The wonders convinced her that Elijah was really God's messenger and that the message that he spoke was truth. That's what she was convinced of by the signs and wonders that he performed. In other words, his signs and wonders actually pointed away from Elijah himself and directed the widow to God and to God's word and the truthfulness of God's word, the truthfulness of Elijah's message, which was the word of God. And, of course, that's the ultimate goal of any true sign or wonder. If it brings glory to the man, it's false. Or at least it's something that the man should be, should be afraid of points away from the messenger to the one giving the message and to the truthfulness of the word of God. But the main thing I want us to get from this passage is is just the, the bare fact that it was the signs and wonders performed by Elijah that convinced her that the word in his mouth was truth. That's what convinced her. Next passage I want to look at here is Acts 4. Acts chapter 4. And you'll remember back in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John had seen this lame man healed at uh, at the gate to the temple there. And as a result of that miracle, as a result of this lame man being healed, they were arrested and brought before the authorities. They were commanded not to speak any longer in the name of Jesus, and they said, we can't do that. Um, And so that's kind of where we're picking it up here, picking up in verse 23 of Acts 4. When they, that is Peter and John, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, 
It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Now remember, they're being told here not to speak any longer in the name of Jesus. They're being persecuted by the authorities. They're praying, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants, two things here, notice this, Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders, there's that phrase, take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And so God performs a miracle back in Acts chapter 3. And so the first thing you find them doing then when they get together for their prayer meeting is asking God to do more miracles. Pretty amazing. You know, it wasn't just like, man, that was something incredible. We better, let's not push our luck here. You know, let's not, let's not ask for any more of this. Uh, that's not what they did. The very first thing they did, the next prayer meeting they had, they asked God to do more miracles in their midst. It was part of their mindset, you see. Christianity was supernatural. God was the living God. Notice what it says here. While you extend your hand, God has a hand, you see, that he can extend to heal. Christianity was supernatural. God was the living God. And the last 2,000 years have not changed those facts one iota. But notice also here that there was no conflict in the minds of these early Christians between the power and necessity of the word of God on the one hand and a desire for signs and wonders on the other hand. Verse 29, now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may do what? May speak your word with all confidence. There's proclamation, preaching, sharing with someone on an individual level, whatever, speaking the word of God, boldness with confidence. Verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, for them, these things went hand in hand. There was no fear that the working of signs and wonders would somehow detract from the proclamation of the gospel message. They didn't, they didn't worry about that. They didn't fear that way. It wasn't a concern of theirs. They asked God to do both. Grant us boldness to speak your word. And at the same time, you perform signs and wonders, stretch forth your hand to heal. And the question for us tonight is, when was the last time that we prayed this way, if ever? And if we don't pray this way, then we need to ask ourselves why. I mean, why is it? What kind of wrong thinking, what kind of wrong ideas do we have, do I have, that's keeping me from praying the way that the early church prayed? Because if we're not praying this way, it's not because... God doesn't do these things anymore, or somehow God's changed. We're not praying this way because we have wrong ideas and wrong thinking about this this whole issue. That's the problem. 
One more passage here, Acts chapter 14. And you can see what I mean by I don't mean this to be any kind of exhaustive treatment of the topic. Just skimming the surface here, I want this to be more of an exhortation uh, than any kind of a, a or a definitive teaching. But Acts chapter 14, verse 1, talking about Paul and Barnabas here. In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they, again, Paul and Barnabas, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Again, verse 3, Therefore they spent a long time there, two things, speaking boldly, there's the proclamation of the word of God on the one hand, with reliance upon the Lord. Now what was, what was the Lord doing at the same time? Who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Notice here that it was God himself who was testifying to his own word. It says God himself was testifying to the word of his grace by causing signs and wonders to be done by the hands of Paul and Barnabas. This wasn't, in other words, this wasn't Paul and Barnabas waving their hands around trying to work up some miracles or something. You know, let's see what we can do. This was God himself stirring them up, giving them the okay, you could say, to do these signs and wonders. God was working these things through their hands. God initiated it. God himself was doing this for the purpose of testifying to his own word. People will sometimes say, we don't need any signs and wonders. The word of God is enough. And there's an element of truth in that. I mean, it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It's the gospel. It's the preached word. Paul said, I, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But you've got to realize that the same Paul that said that is the same Paul who here is performing signs and wonders because God prompted him to in order to give testimony to God's word that he was speaking. So saying that we don't need any signs and wonders and that the word of God is enough, even though it has an element of truth in it, it simply doesn't do justice to the total biblical picture. picture. At least in this case, in Acts 14, you could say that the word by itself was not enough, or obviously God would not have chosen to perform signs and wonders at the same time in order to testify to his word. I mean, if anyone could preach a powerful, authoritative gospel, it was the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, if anybody could preach the gospel, it would be Paul. And yet, God still saw fit to come alongside Paul's spoken message with signs and wonders. You see that? It's incredible. If the ministry of the Apostle Paul could benefit from signs and wonders, how much more our ministry, any of our ministries that we're doing? Well, let me close in. Two exhortations tonight for us as individuals, for us as a church. First of all, let us strive, let us strive as individuals, let us strive together as a body of believers. Let us strive to let the Bible itself define for us 
what a normal, balanced Christian life looks like. Let's let the Bible itself define for us what a normal, balanced Christian life looks like. If we don't do that, we will inevitably find ourselves pushed to those extremes by the devil because that's what the devil wants to do, push people to these extremes. Because when you do that, you you miss out on some part of God's revelation to you. When you go to those extremes, you're off, and you miss out on something that God has one way or the other. But on the other hand, if we do let the Bible define these things for us, I think we'll find that the normal, normal, balanced Christian life is far more supernatural and far more full of wonders than we ever would have imagined. If we're going to let the Bible itself speak to us and define for us what the normal Christian life looks like, I think we'll find that it's a lot more supernatural and full of wonders than we ever would have thought. Listen to Jesus here in John 14. He says this, John 14:10, "Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, otherwise believe because of the works themselves." What works? The works that he had been doing throughout his ministry. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Now notice the very next thing that he says. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I I don't understand that. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I can't explain that to you. But I do know what he said. He said, greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. You see, very next thing he says, ask. Ask me for these things. And if surely that's what they were doing there in Acts chapter 4. They were asking him to do these things. And he did. He, he answered that prayer in Acts chapter 4. So first thing then, let let us strive to let the Bible itself define for us what a normal and balanced Christian life looks like. And then secondly, let us strive, again, as individuals, as a church, let us strive to speak and to desire and to pray biblically about signs and wonders. Let us strive to speak, to desire, and to pray biblically about signs and wonders. If I told you that you need to desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, would that make you uneasy if I got up and said that? You need to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. What if I got up here and said, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but especially that you may prophesy. Would that make you uncomfortable? That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said both of those things, 1 Corinthians 14. It was simply part of the day-to-day life of the church, you see. Those of you that lead Bible studies, those of you that do personal evangelism or campus ministry, or you pray for the folks that do those things, when was the last time that you prayed in accordance with Acts 4? O Lord, grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal 
and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you pray that way? Do I pray that way? Would it make you uneasy if you heard someone else pray that way? Again, let us strive to speak, to desire, and to pray biblically about these things. Now, I would not speak this way in every church, but with our church, I think I'm all right in speaking this way. I think this is something we need to hear. I know I do. If you are uneasy about praying that way, then own that before the Lord. Pour your heart out to him. Lord, I've seen these things abused. I've seen believers go astray on signs and wonders. I can't pray in faith like they did in Acts 4. I can't pray that prayer in faith. I'm uncomfortable. I'm I'm uneasy. Own that before the Lord. I'm afraid of getting some false miracle. I'm afraid of getting some kind of demonic counterfeit. I don't want to ask you for that. I'm afraid. Own that hesitancy. Confess it. Ask the Lord to teach you and to make these things clear to you. And through it all, remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who had already addressed this very issue. He said, what man is there among you who, his, who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And that goes for every area of our lives, and it goes here for this area as well. When we're asking God to do supernatural things, we can trust, we can have faith that he's not going to give us a stone, that he's not going to give us a snake, that he's a good father who gives good things to those who ask him. 